The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It's 10 minutes after 8. Thanks so much for tuning in to SAFM and time now for the Forum at 8. South Africa's cabinet has been described as the most bloated in the world. Online publication The Daily Maverick recently laid out the numbers uh, stating that in 1910 South Africa had a 14-member cabinet. Uh, F.W. de Klerk operated with 33 ministers and deputy ministers, President Nelson Mandela around 42, while President Thabo Mbeki and Khalima Mutlante had 48. In our assessment, uh, we found that President Jacob Zuma has grown a cabinet to a staggering 74 people and there's been a growing sentiment that President Zuma has to decrease the cabinet by about a third in order to save taxpayers money. So on the forum at 8 this morning we ask is this uh, cabinet bloated and is it time to cut the fat from the top? What are your views on this? 34701, that's the SMS line number. You can also call in on 891 or you can tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM. And uh, joining us for the discussion, Dr. Dale McKinley, who is the Gauteng Coordinator for the Right to Know campaign. Thanks for speaking to us this morning. Thank you, Sakina. We also have John Steenhazen, who is a Member of Parliament and Chief Whip of the Democratic Alliance. Thanks for your time. Good morning to you and your listeners, Sakina. And uh, I must also just state at this point that uh, we did approach uh, GCIS. They were not available and also uh, went through various members of the African National Congress who did not respond uh, to our request uh, for the interview this morning. So uh, the show continues. So uh, getting back to the matter at hand now, um, the assertion is that in many advanced economies, a single minister can be in charge of more than one um, ministerial portfolio, Dale. And many people are saying, why can't we replicate that sort of thing in South Africa? Well, absolutely. I mean, let's look at some of the numbers. Uh, So, for example, if we take some of the most developed countries in the world, uh, Germany has a cabinet of 16 people. Uh, that includes the president as well, or the, the chancellor in their case. And the United States uh, has 17. Um, now, we're about, what, one, you know, in terms of population-wise, uh, a much, much smaller country. And yet, as you said, we have, uh, in this case, I think, 35 ministerial portfolios and, and over 70, almost 75 ministerial personnel. Um, that's just, it's uh, something that is uh, just completely beyond our means. And I think, unfortunately... The, the, the sort of explanation for this in South Africa, particularly as you mentioned to begin with under the Zuma administration, is that the cabinet has been used as sort of a um, deployment agency in some ways uh, to put in different people, uh, splitting up the communications portfolio, for example, just recently, creating new ministries, new deputy ministers and so forth, uh, and as, as something where uh, President Zuma can control a lot of what goes on in government through the through the executive and the the, the uh, budget of the executive has just ballooned out, out of all proportion. I think the recent statistics would indicate over 1.5 billion rand a year. Uh, we can talk specifically about how that's broken down, but I think the bottom line is yes. We have a, a top-heavy uh, political class. Um, we don't need that many people. And the question, of course, is what are they doing? Um, if I think many people would not be as upset if we had a situation where we felt that our executive was actually running with 
uh, development programs doing a very good job and earning their keep. But their feeling is is that uh, in many cases the job descriptions are there, but the the actual practice is not. So I think that uh, it's it's a very important uh, example to be set because if the top politicians in the country are just creaming it uh, and not doing a great deal of of work in the process for a ride, and I think that's the main thing that upsets people. But wouldn't this sort of call make more sense if we had empirical evidence to back it up as opposed to, um, you know, assumptions or even a perception that may exist there? When you say empirical, uh, of what exactly, Sakina? Of what the cabinet ministers actually do, of what these various portfolios well, are take, actually set example, up to do. let's take, for example, the new communications minister. Let's take Faith Tambi, the new communications minister, who's had now over a year in her portfolio. Let's see what uh, the minister has achieved. Her, one, of her key, one of her key portfolios, at least is the SABC, clearly our public broadcaster uh, and communications, and then also the digital terrestrial television, the, the shift over to digital ter- uh, television. These are the two key things. What has happened on both of those things? I think we can see that in the SABC, the situation is, is not great uh, in relation to a lot of governance issues and, and some of the disciplinary hearings against the CEO and so forth and so on, the fights between the board and the management. Um, and then we also see with DTT that we are almost a year and a half behind. In many other African countries with half of our or even one-third of our GDP and our capacity have already moved on to that terrain. So th- that's one example. I think we could give many, many ones. That's mm-hmm. not to say that law ministers are not doing their jobs. There's some, I think, that are. The question I think we're trying to ask here is do we have a bloated cabinet? Not do we, do we not need a cabinet. Of course we do. Mm-hmm. But do we need as many people to do these things and as much money to be spent when the deliveries uh, are, are seemingly a little bit short. But following on the example that you've just mentioned, does the ineptitude uh, or the alleged ineptitude of the minister um, uh, mean that the portfolio altogether should be scrapped? No, it doesn't. But the question is, we were never given, for example, I don't think we were ever given a real explanation as to why President Zuma divided the you know, the, the communications ministry uh, into two. I mean, why do we need two different ministries, two different sets of DGs, two different sets of officials for essentially something, as you mentioned at the beginning, in many other countries where one minister will cover a range of different things under, let's say, communications as a generic uh, uh, portfolio, and that would include a whole range of things. Uh, why, when we split higher education, lower education? Now, there might be an argument for that, but the question is, is it not possible to have a, a ministry of education uh, that, that deals with all different education and, and to, to pull that together? Would it not be potentially more coherent uh, as opposed to, you know, two ministries that are sort of competing against each other for funds as well as for, you know, policy proposals? I think the question is, there's a feeling in many cases that the the multiplication of ministries and positions has led to to less delivery, in other words, to more administrative and bureaucratic uh, things that are being done, but the practical uh, outcome of those things is often not matching that. John Stiernais, and the other question is whether it's fair to compare South Africa, you know, given our circumstances as a a developmental state to uh, European and um, Western established democracies. Well, of course, I mean, there, there are uh, different challenges uh, between a, a established democracy and a emerging uh, economy like ours. But even when you do that comparison with other emerging economies around the world, um, certainly with over 75 cabinet members, it's one of the largest cabinets in the world. Um, so not even those other countries facing very similar socioeconomic uh, challenges 
as South Africa faces, have such a large cabinet. Now, the reason we have such a large cabinet is that President Zuma is trying to straddle an alliance and try and keep it together, and so he has to use the glue of patronage to do that. And that's why we have over 37 deputy ministers, 35 ministers, uh, and the president and the deputy president. And obviously, I think it's right now that we're asking this question, is this bringing the efficiencies that we need to South Africa, is it serving us? And if one looks at the key indicators, the World Bank's Good Governance Index, for example, South Africa has declined year on year on this, despite the fact that we have the biggest cabinets in the world. So if we were to cut down, where should we begin, John? Well, of course, there's a number of, uh, of departments that straddle, uh, you know, a number of ministries that straddle a whole lot of uh, departments that are doing essentially the same thing. Let's look, for instance, uh, in the economics cluster. You have the Department of Trade and Industry, Minister Rob Davies. You have the Economic Development Ministry, uh, Minister Ibrahim Patel, and you have the Small Business in, uh, Ministry under Lindiwe Zulu. Now, there's no reason for us to have three different ministers essentially directing the economic development and trade and industry and small business creation. You could have a single minister there with those departments then reporting to them. And there's hosts of examples around uh, around government where we have these ministries uh, that, that we, where we can uh, accumulate other government departments under a single minister. There's no reason for us to have three separate ministers, all with the associated costs of, uh, of their departments, uh, without looking for those uh, efficiencies in government. Dr. Dale McKinley, you know, talking about uh, trimming the fat from the top, um, there has been an argument that's been advanced for quite some time about the need to have the provincial layer of government. Do you think we need that? Well, actually, I've, I've argued that I think we don't. Um, and I think that this was, in, in many cases, a compromise coming out of the negotiations in the early 90s, if we all remember, uh, where um, you know, it was, there was a fear uh, from the old National Party that the ANC was going to centralize power uh, at the national level and that uh, what we needed was a, a fairly strong federal system. Uh, and therefore the provinces were, were created. I, I don't think it's a question of necessarily, a, I think there's certainly the need for administrative uh, aspects of, of governance at the, at the provincial level. But what we have is we have the duplication, unfortunately, of ranges of those same ministries, those same kinds of bureaucracies at now three different levels, which is national, provincial, and, and then local government. And the question I would have, and I think many citizens have about the provincial government, is what does it actually do? Um, because if you look at the competencies in the Constitution as set out in the division amongst the different levels of government, provincial is not given a, a huge amount. Uh, a lot of the, the, the practical things are at local government, and then obviously at national, it's the more central authorities. And I think in, in many cases, unfortunately, what has happened over the last 20 years is provincial governments have become once again an area for putting people uh, another layer of bureaucracy that is sort of like I call it a sponge. Um, it's, it's there in between the national and the local. It doesn't necessarily do a great deal, I don't think, for our um, efficiency of government, and it sucks up a huge amount of the, the, the administrative budget um, and governance budget as well. Um, so I think there's a debate to be had. I mean, it's not to say that we should do away with these things uh, willy-nilly, but I think there's a debate to be had that, you know, do we need the levels of provincial government that we have? Uh, what is the provincial government achieving for us? And would it be possible to cut down or at least to, to reconfigure a provincial government to make it more effective and certainly to make it less burdensome on the public budget? Uh, John, do you agree with Dr. McKinley on that? 
I agree that we need to look at it, but I look at it from a completely different angle. I think what we should be doing is looking at the devolution of power and what functions are given to the various spheres of government. Uh, and I think that's a, a conversation that's overdue. I think what we should be doing is looking at, at giving provinces a little bit more autonomy and more power to be able to um, direct their own affairs. And I also think there needs to be a strong discussion about the division between provincial and local government. I think there's functions that local government could deliver far more efficiently and effectively than uh, provincial and national departments. Uh, but I, I would disagree with simply dismantling the provincial function. I think it... Um, particularly given the, the regionalization that we have in South Africa, um, that it's a healthy for democracy to have uh, a federalized system. What we have at the moment, though, is a pseudo-federal system where uh, there's kind of a stop-start between what, you know, where provinces begin, where national ends. And I think it's that tension that's led to many of the provinces and many of them just becoming franchises of, uh, of national government or ATMs through which funds are transferred to local government, obviously then with the top slice coming off to cover the bureaucracy. So I think the answer lies more in looking at the functions and the divisions of, of functions uh, between the three spheres and something we need to look at again. Well, we're asking this morning, is it time to cut the fat from the top and the line's already blazing 0891104208 and we're asking whether our cabinet is bloated and uh, whether it should be trimmed. Our guest this morning, Dr. Dale McKinley, who is the Gauteng Coordinator for the Right to Know campaign and uh, Democratic Alliance um, Chief Whip uh, John Steenhazen also with us. Let's go to Solly in Johannesburg. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. According to me, the cabinet it is bloated, and then I wouldn't have a problem uh, 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 about it being bloated if we didn't have the issues that we have in, in our country. The issue of crime, uh, the issue of the parastatals not working very well, and so on. And then I think the cause it is based on two reasons. The first one, you remember that the number one is, is, is enjoy uh, the huge support in the ANC. So whenever he supported, obviously he must make sure that those that are supporting him, he does something to thank them for their support. So hence, the cabinet is bloated. And then the second thing, I think it is because of he does that to learn the masses because of whenever there is an issue of xenophobia whereby uh, people they complain about the foreigners taking the business and then you will create a post and make make Lindy Wesisulu to be the minister that uh, to say that they uh, is taking care of small businesses and so on. If another issue can be raised and then it's going to create another department just to lull the masses. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Solly, Eddie in Cape Town. Sakina, there are two things for me. Um, the first one is um, someone said once um, if the ministers spent just half of their time that they spent doing spin doctoring, in just mastering their, their portfolios, they could do a lot, you know. I just want your guests to respond to that. The second issue is, um, even in a private company, Sakina, a manager who can't manage his personal resources um, will always think he is falling short of manpower and um, by throwing more people into the deep end and hiring and hiring and hiring. But at the end of the day, Sakina, I think for me, um, 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 maybe looking at the Jacob Zuma administration per se, um, the fact that they didn't respond to this, obviously, is because they know um, they won't have anything to say around this issue. 
just one issue that an example that um, are, are talking about the layers and all of this. When you look at the Riyadh issue, for example, um, you have a committee that is in parliament that is found guilty. You have the commission that the president has set up. You have the Farnham Commission. So at the end of the day, you do, you don't. Um, um, the, the, what we suffer from in this with the government, Sakina, is decision making because bureaucrats in the in the government are the people that do deliver. But because the minister is, he doesn't know his portfolio for for starters, uh, can't do anything, cannot appraise his people and see whether they are doing the right things. Secondly, they can't take a decision because, for example, the DG is a friend of. Um, someone high up that you inherit as a minister, even if the guy is not performing, you can't do anything. So I don't think maybe the, the, the issues, we must separate them here. The bloated cabinet and the decision-making and the, the efficiency, you know, maybe we need to ask the guests to, 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 to split that and really look at that more deeply, you know. Okay. Yes, can... Thank you so much. Eddie, let's go to Peter Maritzburg. Good morning, Chris. Uh, good morning, uh, uh, my point is, firstly, I will not cut in where we are looking at the performance of various ministers and their incomprehension of the task that they are giving, vis-a-vis looking at is the cabinet bloated. And when we say it's bloated, is it bloated for the task at hand or is it bloated in terms of numbers? Because if we, my, 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 my fear is that if we only look at numbers and compare the numbers and the increase in numbers and don't look at the task, we might not uh, come at a very intelligent discussion that will inform and advise uh, how people should really look at the issues. And I just want to hear your, your mm. question. Uh, before you go there, Chris, do you think cost should be a factor here as well? When we look at the task that needs to, if we say for an example, what do we need in order to move towards a developmental state? And what are the key areas that we need? Because in essence, developmental state is, is, is centralized macroeconomic planning. And then do we really need four ministers that deliver the economy, as part of your case was alluding to? And those are some of the decisions. And you are correct, yes, we need to look at the cost. And where do we need? And look at the, the, the current and the objective conditions. We live in a, in a where economy is growing at a very slow rate and where the, the, the public is yearning for, 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 for things, especially for public goods from the state. And can we afford to have such a, a, a big cabinet? I think those are some of the issues that we need to look at. Thank you so much, uh, Chris and Peter Maritzburg. Dennis Bloom, good morning. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to uh, the people in the studio there. Uh, uh, Sakina, without any doubt, we can't argue this thing. This thing is too big. It, 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 it does, South Africa does not need President Mandela, President Tabumbeki uh, have done much more work than this, this bloated uh, cabinet is doing. You How see, so? You, so? Sorry? How so? No, it was more effective than this one. Uh, of 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 of, of uh, President Zuma. But how you do you see, measure uh, that, Dennis? Sorry. How do you measure that? You see, there was more delivery. There was less uh, uh, service delivery protest all over. You see, in 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 health, there is a service delivery uh, 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 protest. In local government, there's service delivery all over. There's service. You measure it by that. If if the country is stable. Then you, 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 you say, no, this, this, this 
cabinet is working, or this government is, is working. You see, Sakina, we are only looking at uh, the 37 and the 35. All of them are having a, a protectors. They are having two houses, one in Pretoria, one in, uh, in, in, in Cape Town. Two cars, one in Pretoria, one in Cape Town. I am telling you, Sakina, we will never survive in this country if we are not going to cut this bloated cabinet. Okay. One of the of your panelists have said Germany is having 16. Why? Why must we have this this big thing? Ah, lost Dennis Bloom there, but got the gist of it, and we'll come back to it after this. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Does South Africa have a bloated cabinet and is it time to cut the fat from the top is what we're asking this morning. 891 is the dial-in number and our guests this morning, Dr. Dale McKinley and John Steenhazen and taking your calls on 891 Before I get back to the panel, let me just go to the lines. Kareem was there before the news break. Uh, thanks for holding, Kareem. Hi, Sakina, how are you? Well, thanks, and you? Good morning to your panel. Sakina, I want to make a quick comment, two quick comments. We should cut the fat of the cabinet because, you know, it's too huge, and that money could be utilized for many, many purposes. Secondly, the, 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 from, from, from the top level right to the provincial level, I think all the metros are also overflated. They've got too many people on board. They all have to be trimmed. And I tell you, a living example for these people to now realize the new, the new year is coming, 2016, what Tanzania has done. The president of Tanzania has cut everything down. I promise you, if that works, and if we can employ, uh, employ the same method here in South Africa with all the fancy transport and using 4-4 cars and uh, all the expenses they do, we're able to do a very good job in this country and deliver, do service delivery and, and look after education, Health, which is a priority. It's about time President Zuma took the stick and said, fine, let me trim the fat off and let's go for it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Kareem. Um, let's get back to the panel just to answer uh, the issues raised by the listeners thus far. Um, uh, Dr. McKinley, let me start with you, because uh, we're talking about cost here, but w- what does it actually cost us? Well, according to the latest stats, which were from 2014-2015 uh, financial year, uh, the estimated cost of the entirety of our cabinet, that means, you know, ministers, deputy ministers, support staff, uh, and all the perks, in other words, accommodation, travel, vehicles, all sorts of other things, is around $1.5 billion a year. Um, now we can break that down. Uh, for example, salaries of them, just, if you just take the ministers for salaries, it's around $150 million a year. Support staff is almost $300 million a year, and so forth and so on. So it's a substantial amount of money, and I think uh, the latest debates around the ministerial handbook, for example, uh, which have been going on for the last three years, and all the kinds of things that the ministers and deputy ministers are given uh, and are provided, uh, we don't have time to go into all of these things, but it's actually quite ridiculous if you think, I mean, I can give you two or three examples of where we could cut the fat on, on a range of different fronts. Uh, for example, private uh, social functions at ministers and deputy ministers' houses are paid for by the state. <laughs> now, that means you can have your own parties um, and uh, chairs will be provided, certain catering will be provided. It seems a small thing. 
but it's an example, I think, for if we're saying that we are having budget problems and we're saying that we are in an economic crisis and that we need to cut the fat, that's what the government tells the citizenry, then they must practice what they preach. And I think people appreciate when they see our leadership cutting things and saying we don't need that, you know, we don't need to take the first class, we don't need to take, uh, you know, the Department of Defense helicopters and jets where we go. We, we can actually cut for ourselves. I think if they begin to do that and there's the sense that, you know, we're trying here. Yes, we do need money. We do need a decent budget for our cabinet. But we're trying to do the same as we're asking you to do. Then I think people would then not be so critical. But there's the feeling that the, the ministers and the cabinets feel that they're above the people in many ways and that they are, can just basically do what they want with public monies and it makes no difference. And I think that's where the problem lies. Uh, let me just come back to um, uh, John Sienaisen of the DA very quickly. Um, uh, you reported as saying that, uh, you know, the DA would have a 15-member cabinet. H- how would you do that? Well, obviously what we would do is look at creating uh, fewer ministries that work far more efficiently towards the right mix of priorities that are responsive to citizen needs and that spend South Africa's money in a productive way and not waste it on, on excessive expenditure. So what we would do is uh, get rid of government departments, um, government ministries, uh, that we believe are, uh, are not uh, advancing uh, those particular interests, and we would then put departments uh, under ministers in a, in a far more coherent uh, and far more cost-effective manner. I think it's also important to look at the figures, Sakina, because a number of your, of your uh, uh, people have called and have mentioned them. I think that it's important to note that the public sector wage bill, since 1994, it was 5% of South Africa's GDP. In 2014, it's now 39%. 439 billion spent on an annual basis on the public sector wage bill, and 100 uh, and 1.65 billion on uh, the cabinet ministers. Now, it's important that we then contrast that with the 177 billion that's spent on social benefits in the country. And when you start comparing it with with that, it becomes very evident that this is expenditure that we can't afford. Uh, and should be redirected into those areas where, where we need it most. Interestingly, a number of our listeners saying, John Stianazen, that uh, we shouldn't just stop at Cabinet uh, because Parliament itself is bloated. What's your take on that? Well, obviously, I mean, it's something that, uh, you know, that's determined by a formula based on the uh, number of people in the country. And, you know, if it's, uh, that's a debate that we can have as well. I mean, the, the problem that we have as well in Parliament, uh, the knock-on effect of this bloated Cabinet, is that because the Cabinet is so big, those ministers are never in the House. And so the ANC battles really uh, in terms of, of getting a quorum there because those ministers are just never available to come and help the ANC's numbers. So we've been able to block uh, a number of key bills this year uh, and frustrate the ANC's legislative program uh, and, and some of the bad bills that they've done that's bad for South Africa um, simply because they can't get the numbers there. They're relying on minority parties to be in the House to make a quorum. Um, so I think if we reduce the number of MPs, I think the ANC would find it even even harder to be able to drive the legislative program uh, through the National Assembly. And what about deputy ministers, uh, Dr. Del McKinley? Because the question is, what do what sort of value do they actually add? Well, it's a good question, Sakina. Um, I mean, if you if we remember, uh, President Zuma has expanded quite substantially the number of deputy ministers uh, and from previous administrations. 
And I, I think that uh, the, the question for a lot of people is exactly, I mean, what value does the, the deputy minister add? I don't think there's any question that uh, there's a need for um, sort of, you know, second-tier officials uh, in the cabinet to, uh, to assist. But in the, in the context of one, if one looks at the, for example, again, I'm going back and your callers raised this earlier on, which is that, you know, I guess it's about mas- what he, he called mastering their portfolio. So the question is not whether we shouldn't have deputy ministers. The question is whether or not it's the right person for being that deputy minister and whether they're actually doing their job. Um, and oftentimes what we find is we find that deputy ministers are deployed um, for political reasons, to keep checks on ministers that might not be in with the president or that you see internal factional battles taking place, high turnovers. And I think that the, the real question is administrative efficiency. Um, there's no problem with having a, a range of deputy ministers if there's the feeling that they're working closely with the minister. They actually have a, a handle on the senior officials. That's the DG, the deputy DGs, and everything else. But what we find, unfortunately, is it seems it's, it's a catfight. So we get this constant turnover of, of high officials, including with the politicians and top officials, and therefore delivery and responsibility is not taken uh, for, for that. So there's that sense that the cabinet is not the, the same standards that we would apply to other public services. Uh, if you're not delivering, well, then you need to get somebody in there that is, doesn't apply to cabinet, as if it's almost an, an officially protected political space, uh, which doesn't, uh, the, the same rules don't apply. And I think what the public is saying and why the public is, is quite upset in a lot of ways is they feel as though that president, that, that ministerial, deputy ministerial level there is something that is not tied in with taking responsibility for what your portfolio says you must deliver and having some kind of benchmarks against which we can judge whether or not someone is doing their job. Well, let's go back to the lines. 891 uh, in Falbank in Mpumalanga. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. Welcome. Uh, well, my, my take is, uh, firstly, get rid of the Department of Women and Children. Why? And because, you, you say why? Yes. Uh, you, you can take those, the, those their functions and give them to the other departments. You see, it's, uh, it's, it's unnecessary. So, uh, uh, and then, so you're saying issues pertaining to women and children are unnecessary? No, no, not, not necessarily unnecessary, but uh, you, you can uh, give them to the other departments. You see, like the Department of so- Social Development and the Department of Home Affairs, for example. Okay. All right, continue. Okay, Kolisile in Falbank and Mpumalanga, uh, the Department of Women um, and Children's Affairs must go first. I'm not too sure how I feel about that. But let's hear from Mike in Newlands. Good morning. Hi, good morning, SK. Uh, I, I think it's interesting, firstly, that the ANC is too kindly to come onto your show. But then again, you can't defend the indefensible, so it's not a surprise. John Steershazen hit the nail on the head when he used the words glue of patronage. What that tells us is the ANC assembles the candidate not with putting together what's good for the country, but rather what's good for the ANC and what keeps them together at the cost of the country. And it's interesting that the uh, Zuma has already said that the ANC comes first, not the country. Uh, so that really plays exactly to what I'm saying. It proves everything to the fact that the ANC looks after itself first, 
keeps its people at the trough so they can feed, live a happy life at the expense of the poor, and really, this cabinet, we could, we could operate with 15 people, easy. Thanks so much, Sabina. Thank you, Mike. Uh, the, the, the question of patronage, isn't that sometimes overstated, though, Dr. Dale McKinley? Well, I don't think so, unfortunately, because it's not, I think we have to look at this in a holistic manner. In other words, if we're looking specifically at the cabinet, uh, it's an example, I think, of an approach to governance that has unfortunately uh, taken precedence over the last several years. Let's look at provinces, let's look at, at local government. The problem, I think, and I, even the ANC admits this um, in its own internal documents when it looks at uh, you know, the performance of its councillors and its uh, politicians, which is that people are being put into jobs that they simply are not, they, they shouldn't be put into those jobs. And, and that's the, the reason why is because the, the decisions that are being made oftentimes are not relevant to the portfolio in which that person is being placed. Uh, it's, about a poli- it's about a political power play. It's about who's close to the pr- premier or who's close to the president, um, who's not going to ask different questions. We have to look at also when those ministers who have had the courage uh, to speak out and to say, look, you know, we don't think that things are being done properly um, against uh, the, the kinds of uh, like the national development plan or whatever the large macro frame that is being set for the ministers and that we believe that there's a lot of wastage being happening here. Oftentimes, instead of bringing them on board in those comments and saying, okay, that's a good critique, let's look at that, they're often punished, marginalized, shifted. And I think that it's, it's a perception uh, and a real perception that instead of looking at performance and instead of looking at efficiency, what we're looking at here is who protects whom and, um, you know, who's, who's the most politically powerful and then who can basically uh, protect the, the, uh, the people at the top. And we saw that with the Inconla affair. It was, you know, I don't want to, to, to you know, uh, beat a dead horse in this case, but, it's, but in the sense of, of the fact that what it brought out was that, you know, when these things came to the public attention, uh, there were some ministers that expressed serious reservations about the kinds of decisions that had been taken and the processes uh, that allowed those decisions, and they were sidelined. Um, and that tells us, basically, that uh, politics is trumping performance. And I think, in, I'll get back to this point again, when we talk about a bloated cabinet, it's not simply, as your caller said, it's not simply about the numbers. It's about whether or not people are actually delivering what they should deliver. And when people, I think people would accept the fact if we had a larger cabinet, if we had a growing economy, if there were jobs being created, if there was a sense of delivery at the, you know, when the health and education departments, let's take textbooks, for example, were being delivered on time to all schools, then people would be able to accept, I think, that, you know, it's not a question about how many numbers we have. If people are doing their jobs, that's okay. But when we have a situation where there's a feeling that people are being put into those positions as a result of political patronage and as a result of power politics, then there's the feeling that delivery is taking a back seat. All right. And let's uh, just, uh, sure, still so many calls. Okay, I thought I'd read some messages, but let's uh, prioritize the calls. Uh, yeah, Paki in Cape Town, good morning. Hello, Sakina. Thank you for taking my call. I've been asked not to greet you because you're okay. Sakina, I'd like, just like to make this few um, points, please. I'm not sure why. Hello, Sakina, is today. I'm, st- I'm listening, Paki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the fact that um, President um, FW declared increased the cabinet by such number and President Mandela increased the cabinet by such number to President Mbeki and to President Zuma, it is because of the demand. 
it is really because of the demand. Why is it that we can't start to ask ourselves? Isn't it perhaps reason why the cabinet is 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 is, is, is increased is increased to the number that it is today? It is precisely because there is such a huge amount of work to be done. Instead of even to give just one um, um, minister or just one uh, ministerial, in fact, um, just one department to do a whole lot of things, let us actually be able to start asking ourselves, is like, let us, in fact, what I'm actually trying to say is, break down all these duties and allow people to take them forward and to account. Instead of having to say we're giving this one person a whole huge amount of work and then at the end of the day we're failing to monitor and evaluate and in terms of reporting, Sakina, maybe your, um, your guest may assist us um, in this case. Thank you very much, Sakina. Thanks right? so much, Paki. Uh, solo in Umsabuya Lingana, good morning. Morning. Yes, I want to argue differently. Uh, I think the, the, the cabinet size is because of the need. I think there was an assessment which was done uh, looking at the whole work that needs to be done by government, which then give rise to the size of the, of, the, of the cabinet. I think we are making a mistake when we begin to compare the president, beginning from uh, former President Mandela, Tarombegi to Zuma, on the basis of their personalities and character. These people are from the same political party which draw up the program which they use when they are in government. In actual fact, there is not much difference in terms of their offices when you look at it. With Zuma, I think um, more responsibility has been taken up because we are running a modern country with a modern democracy, with a modern economy. I think when you look at the size and look at the work, these people don't find time to sleep. So it's just that in South Africa we have adopted a culture, I would say, of complaining about anything every time. That is our challenge. I think you can find uh, your guest responding or commenting differently if you say, because there is a debate which is underway in all circles, particularly in the governing party, to dismantle the provincial governments and leave the local government and the national government. You will find it different because the debate is in a way sort of self-serving, try to portray the president as a person who is not efficient. Thank you, Sakina. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Solo, Brandon in Cape Town. Ah, yes. Uh, look, to be quite honest, for me, it's about accountability. I mean, yes, yeah, 75 plus minutes is great, but are you delivering, you know what I mean? Um, are you delivering? I mean, who's, who's in all accountable for the old class story? Costing the country billions. I mean, who's all accountable for, for the SABC like scenario, I mean, ESCO, Makinga, and, you know, SAA. Um, for me, yes, 75, great, but then deliver. And, and, and also, how are they being held accountable? Uh, you know, I think that if they don't deliver, then, you know, this one is rubbing shoulders with the top brass, so cool, you get off the hook. So, 75, fine, but then deliver. And if you don't deliver, they need to be held accountable, regardless if they're statesman or not. Thank you. Bettina. Thank you so much, uh, Brandon. Chris and Porch, good morning. Good morning, SK. Simple. Value for money. We don't mind the size. I don't mind paying more for something that is of a better quality than the, than, than, than the other thing. But if we have so many ministers and we do not get the services that they are supposed to deliver and they are not accountable, I really don't see what we are doing. It's like filling a kitchen with 20 chefs and expect the recipe to be still the same. It's not going to work.
Short and sweet. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Chris. Uh, let me read some messages and get the panel to respond. Kolani says, I'm worried uh, soon they will, uh, they will create a minister of drought because the world has changed. Uh, they haven't created a minister of Twitter yet, uh, but uh, perhaps it is coming. And then Mzet says, I don't know where to start commenting on today's forum. Uh, the way South Africa is uh, seemingly quite despondent there. And then a few others on the SMS line. How long does a minister serve? Can't uh, Jeff Hatebe stand aside? And um, this one says, uh, it's from KB, cronyism and patronage, fertile ground for an inefficient, corrupt administration. Who knows what uh, Lindiwe Zulu, Stella Ndabeni, uh, Mzwandile Masina and Siabonga Toile does. And then this one says, the debate must consider the fact that South Africa is developing country and can't be compared with developed nations and secondly um, South Africa took uh, care of whites only uh, Bradi says provinces are a perpetuation of the Bantustan nation of um, uh, Bantustanization of South Africa. Moreover, it's a way for the ruling party to pay patronage. Uh, the country could work if um, it has only national and municipal administrators. Consequently, the ministries and their deputies would be streamlined and cut to the bare minimum. Um, JL in KZN says the problem is actually much, much worse. On top of the national and provincial cabinets, the directors are also political people and often cater deployment goes even further down the line. Very difficult to dismantle this uh, mess. And then Anthony says, could we have an audit on cost-effective performance of all these departments? This one says, SK, it's uh, so obvious you are a pro-ANC and anti-white person. Um, You're always trying to defend an incompetent, racist, corrupt government. And um, on the flip side of that, uh, Muzi says, uh, this anti-Zuma, anti-ANC agenda that you are pushing and using SAFM for, let's hope it won't come back to bite you. So I don't know, seemingly upset everybody with this question this morning. Uh, but uh, let's hear from the panel. John, see you nice yeah, look, I mean, I, I think that what's coming through very loud and clearly is that South Africans, you know, particularly given the economic situation that we find ourselves in and the fact that too many South Africans don't have work and that life is too hard for too many South Africans. I think they look at this uh, expenditure, they look at these vehicles, the expenditure on an annual basis and vehicles for ministers, this high-flying rock star lifestyle that some of the ministers are very happy to, to flaunt uh, paid for by the South African taxpayer, I think it creates a sense of revulsion amongst many, many South Africans. And I think that that's why it has stimulated this debate this morning, because I think people are getting fed up with this excess. Uh, and it's time for us to, to look at how we actually ensure that we have a lean, efficient government that is citizen-responsive and not minister-responsive. Dr. Dale McKinley? Well, you know, just responding to, to some of the, the, the comments here, I, I think that what people are basically, some people are missing here, is that I want to make a, a metaphor. If you, you know, at a personal level, if we have a household budget and it's a very specific budget, you don't, uh, you know, you try to live within your budget. In other words, you don't go and you don't start buying huge uh, items that are going to put you in massive debt. The same principle applies to the cabinet. If we're in a time of, of contraction, our economy is not growing, we're facing a range of, of uh, crises, we're also facing a whole range of, of huge needs, as someone pointed out in the population, then what you do is you don't necessarily go and ex- expand the top levels of people who are supposed to be overseeing these things. You put the money where it's needed. That's the question. You know, the answer to delivery and the answer to the demands and the needs is not more people at the top, it's more people at the bottom. 
It's more people on the ground delivering social development, social workers, good teachers, uh, health professionals. These are the people that actually make the delivery of services, not the politicians. The politician's job is to oversee, to manage, to coordinate. And I think if you're good at doing that job, you can do so without having a large, a large numbers of people and large numbers of expenditure. And I think the citizenry is saying, let me just give an example just to, to d destroy this myth that it's only just, you know, developing countries that need huge amounts of, of, of top officials. Kenya, for example, has 20, a cabinet of 20 people. Um, which is almost half the size of South Africa. And Kenya doesn't have the size of our economy. It's not as sophisticated. So there are other examples even in our continent where we can cut that fat and then put what we do have where, it's need, where it needs. And I think that's what the citizenry is saying to our cabinet. Let's stop wasting that money and stop bickering at the top and let's get on with the job of delivery. Well, thank you so much. Our guest this morning, Dr. Dale McKinley, uh, Gauteng Director for the Right to Know campaign, and John Steenhazen, a Member of Parliament and Chief Whip of the Democratic Alliance. And that's where we're going to leave it. Uh, we'll storyfy those comments that we didn't get to read, and you can go and look for those on www.safm.co.za.